right, cuts like a knife. Thank you, Brian Adams. Cuts like a knife, good morning. It's always such a blessing for me to be here and be in this capacity um, with you. And I'm excited about our time together today and we are gonna jump right in. So for the past few weeks, we have been in the book of Galatians and Galatia was the very first church on Paul's missionary journey. And um, it was written, it was very close to his heart. The people were very, very dear to his heart. But after he left the area, he found out that a group called the Judaizers had come in behind him and started to really pervert the gospel message away from what Paul had taught them, right, which was Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. So this group of people came in behind him and started to say, okay, that's good, you can have Jesus, but then you also have to do all of these other things, and specifically following that old mosaic, that old Jewish law. So Paul finds out about it, and he writes a letter as a rebuke to the churches in Galatia. And it was, if you read through, a lot of the New Testament was written by Paul. He is angry. You get that sense. He is very angry. He is very frustrated um, because they have fallen away from the gospel message that he preached. Last week in chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that no one is justified by works of the law, that we are only justified through Jesus Christ. And it is today that we begin to unpack the truth of that verse but we also get to the good, well, I don't know, the Galatians probably didn't think it was the good stuff, but I think it's the good stuff for us because we have so much to learn. But Galatians chapter 3 is, is the heart of the letter. We get to the heart of the matter. We get to the heart of their error. And we are in Galatians 3 verses 1 through 9. So see if you can tell if he's mad. You foolish Galatians. He's shy. He's so shy. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Hmm. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So, Abraham, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the things that I like best about Paul, if you couldn't already tell, is that he is not shy at all. And true to his form in the previous two chapters, right, he comes out of the gate swinging. And I'm jealous. I, honestly, I think I'm a little bit jealous as I was thinking through um, our time together today. My sister and I were actually talking about this on Friday night. You know, so often we see people that we love and we care about going down the wrong path. And we desperately want to speak truth into their lives super directly, like Paul does, but we don't. Because we're afraid that we might hurt their feelings or we might, God forbid, we might make them mad at us for us telling them the truth, I don't get that, but that's how we are. So we're afraid. 
and we don't say what we really feel. But Paul isn't afraid at all. Paul is not afraid at all. And he starts out swinging. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And what he's saying is, who has bewitched you? Who has messed with your mind? Who has messed with your heart? Why are you believing these things that you're believing? Who has messed with, what's the matter with your minds? And Paul is saying, I want us to make sure that we understand, he's not saying that the Galatians got to see Jesus crucified. Obviously, they didn't. But what he's asking them to remember when he says it was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, he's taken them back to that moment. He says, do you remember when you first heard the gospel message and the Spirit of God came upon you? It was such a powerful moment. And that Spirit moved through you. It's as if you were there. It's as if you were a witness to the crucifixion. So Paul's bringing it back to what we learned last week, that we're not justified by works. We are justified through Jesus Christ. And what he's about to do over our next couple of verses is he's going to take the spotlight and put it right on the cross. And it all boils down to one of two things. If you have faith in Jesus, and specifically his crucifixion, you cannot rely on works of the law. Or, if you rely on the works of the law, then you cannot rely on the crucifixion. It's one or the other. You can't have both. This morning we're going to look at why. We are going to understand and uh, dig into why it can't be both. Why we have to make a choice. And Paul uses, it's a simply brilliant approach that is designed to pierce the mind and the hearts of the Galatians and the readers. One might say that it cuts like a knife. See what I did there? Who was paying attention to Brian Adams earlier? Nobody? Bev was. Thanks, Marianne, Cindy. Extra Jesus points for you guys today. Much like a trauma doctor will assess the lucidity of somebody who's had a head injury. It's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's like, you guys have been hurt in your brain. He asks questions. But instead of asking, what year is it? Who is the president? Right? He presses hard with Galatians to put, um, he presses hard with uh, questions to put them back in touch with their own experience of God. And he uses questions to start breaking the grip of this illusion, this bewitchment. They were in the grasp bewitched. So he starts asking questions to break, break the spell that they were under, and his questions really focus on two primary aspects, their initial reception of the Spirit and how they have matured in their faith by their Spirit. So let's start with the first question. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So Paul's asking, it's, yes, it's a little bit sarcastic, and if those of you are keeping score who are, are a fan of sarcasm like I am, it does exist in the Bible. So there we see it on the screen. But what he's saying, it is a little bit sarcastic. He says, do you, he's like, I would just like to learn one thing from you. Remember when you first came to Jesus, when you first became a follower of Jesus Christ, did you do that because of the law, some list of rules that you were given, or did you come because of Jesus Christ. And he's really giving you one of two scenarios that I want us to consider this morning. So it would look a little bit like this. It's either, 
Did someone give you a list of laws and tell you that if you do all of these things, if you come to church every Sunday, if you bring your Bible, if you pray, if you tithe, if you honor your parents, if you don't lie, cheat, or steal, if you do all of these things, here's this list. By the end of your days, if you've done all of this, when you stand in front of him, he's going to be like, you did a great job. Come on in. Or (laughs) did somebody tell you the truth? Did they tell you that this list is too heavy for you to carry? You'll never be able to do it on your own. You will never, and it's not a shot against you. You could try super hard. You could try the hardest you've ever tried at anything in your entire life, but it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be good enough to make you right when you stand in front of a holy, perfect father, but that he loves you so much He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to fulfill the law for you through himself so you could stand in front of God redeemed. Which one was it? And here's what I think Paul is really asking. Did the cross mean anything to you? Did the cross mean, that's my niece, by the way. Did the cross mean anything to you at all? Because the cross declares, Anna Soph, the cross declares that someone has taken your place. Someone has taken your place and has made it so that you can stand before God. Does the cross mean anything to you? It means something to Paul. We heard this one last week. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So let me ask you, were you justified, were you all justified by your ability to follow the law or by the cross? And I'm going to be bold and I'm going to tell you that if you are relying on the law to make yourself right with God when you get up there so he looks at you and says, come on in, you are rejecting the crucifixion. You have turned your back on the cross. We're either justified by the law or we're justified by faith. It's one or the other. You can't have both. So we come to his next set of questions, right? He comes out swinging. He already calls you a fool. He comes out swinging again. Oh, here we go again. (laughs) Are you so foolish, right? He starts with, after beginning by means, it's our initial reception. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you've heard? And this is Paul's question. If we've been justified by faith, why would we think that we now need to rely on the law to continue growing in our faith and maintaining our salvation? Paul is saying, if we are justified by faith, we are sanctified by faith. And sanctified is a word that we find in Scripture that means we are growing in Christ. We are becoming more Christ-like. Our faith is maturing, and it is a progressive process that happens through our entire life. Here's something for you to think about. How often do we gauge our performance as a Christian 
our status of how we're doing with God by our own performance. And I think it looks something like this. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, that I trust, it, trust that he forgave me of my sins. The cross is this thing that initiated my relationship with him, but oh my gosh, now it's up to me to perform rightly in order to maintain my standing with him. So we start with the cross, but we finish with the law. Does that make sense? We start out saved by the cross, but something gets all bewitched, and it gets all twisted in our brains, and we now think it's up to us to check all the boxes on our keeping our salvation to-do list so we stay on God's good list. It's ridiculously silly. It is silly. Listen, we are not sanctified through our own willpower, through anything that we do on our own and by our ability to keep the laws. That is not how we grow in Christ. What Christ has done on the cross is the source of our ability. It is our fuel to live a life that is pleasing to God and to be obedient to what he does command in scripture. And we need to understand, church, we need to understand that distinction. A faith that justifies is a faith that does not require you to work at all because Jesus did the work already. It is done. And a faith that sanctifies a faith that sanctifies works hard. It's works so hard in response to the grace that you were shown and the fact that you were justified apart from the law. And Paul reflects on this exact thing in 1 Corinthians 15:10. He says, "But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but it was the grace of God who was in me. And what, what Paul is saying in response to the grace that was shown to me in Jesus Christ, I worked hard, but it wasn't me who was working, lest I think I'm awesome, lest I take this upon myself and make this about me. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God working hard in me. So what does it mean for the grace of God to work hard in you? Some people don't get that because it, it, it's a hard concept to understand. And the easiest way that I can put it is this. Let's say somebody really offends you. They really, really hurt you. And you are struggling with anger. You're struggling with a desire to cut that relationship off. Everything in your body, because you are naturally wired like this, is screaming, treat them poorly, turn your back, ignore them. They don't matter anymore. This relationship is over. I will give you the cold shoulder, maybe even worse. That is the temptation that we feel. And we know that scripture commands us not to do those things. We know that scripture tells us we can't do that. We have to love our neighbors we have to love our enemies. And you know that you're supposed to do those things, but the law and the commands within themselves, they are not enough. They are not powerful enough to sway our sinful, stubborn hearts. It's just not. They're not powerful enough. When we're in that moment and we are feeling that anger, we feel it coursing through us or that sadness or that hurt in every part of your body, which is, again, wired this way, to be angry and to respond in anger, the, a, a list of laws is not going to motivate you. It will not, it's not powerful enough to make you change your behavior. But the power 
to love others, to love our enemies, it is found, I know it sounds simple, but it's found at the cross. You see, at the cross, God loved us even when we were sinning against him and we were hurting him. And brothers and sisters, when we sin, it hurts God. Don't think for one second that your sin does not hurt him. Our sin does not hurt him. My sin doesn't hurt him. It does. See, God loved us in and through the cross that Jesus bled on. And at the cross, we discover and we remember in those moments where you are ready to rip someone's face off, the graciousness is always better than punishment. And graciousness is always better than treating somebody poorly. And so, because the grace of God is working hard in us, somehow we can move towards that other person, whoever it is, and hurt us. Um, And it's not going to be easy. In fact, I promise you, if you have ever been in a situation and it has been easy for you, I want you to talk to all of us afterwards and let us know why it was so easy because it is not easy to move towards that other person. But a faith that sanctifies you is wired to work within you, hard within you, to eventually help you get there. And so again, here Paul gives us two options. Our Christian life is either initiated by the cross and finished by the law, or it's initiated by the cross and it's finished at the cross. It's one or the other. You can't have both. Paul is done with his questions but the A game is still on. And he shifts back to Scripture. He takes his approach and he goes right back to the Word of God. And these next few verses, I want us to understand. Sometimes I think um, we have questions about how the Bible fits together. These next few verses are absolute treasures in the Bible and they help us understand how it all fits together. Look at verses 6 through 9. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It might not seem like he's doing this, but Paul is absolutely throwing the gauntlet down here because he's going back to Abraham. He's bringing up Abraham. And the Judaizers who have bewitched the Galatians, they'll get this reference because the Jews refer to Abraham as our patriarch. He is our father, our father Abraham. I think we might have even sang that in vacation Bible school. He had many sons. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? So he's going back, and and what Paul is doing here is he's going all the way back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, very first book of the Bible. And he's saying, let's talk about Abraham for just a second. So what happened is that God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a pact with him. During a time when Abraham was not a righteous man, he wasn't, I mean, technically he wasn't even a Jew yet. They didn't even really exist yet. He's kind of credited as being the first, and he wasn't a righteous man. He was living in a land called Ur, which is the pagan land, with a bunch of idolaters, but God sees something in him, and he comes to him, and he makes a pact with him, and he says, Abraham, through you, I will bring my my plan to fruition to save all people. 
And here's what Abraham does. This is a lot. This is, he believes him. He believes him. He trusted and had faith in God that God would do exactly what he said he was going to do. Abraham trusted and believed that the only hope that he had, the only way for him would be to trust God, that God would do what he was going to do. And brothers and sisters, this happened, and this is, again, why this moment was so powerful for the Galatians and those Judaizers. They would know that this moment with Abraham happened, gosh, I would at least 500 years before the two defining moments in Jewish history, right? The exodus out of Egypt and the giving of the Torah and the law at Mount Sinai. But what Paul is saying here is that years before your defining moments and then thousands of years later, Jesus Christ would be enough, his blood would be enough to cover Abraham in that moment because he had faith and he believed. So when Paul refers to the faith that Abraham had, he is making the argument that God's plan to redeem his people, it was always about faith even for Abraham, even for Old Testament believers, even for New Testament believers, even for us. It has always been about faith, and the Bible declares that from the very beginning to the very end, that we follow a God who has graciously provided a way for us to be reconciled to him and to grow in our faith apart from the law. So with this one, we don't, have any, we don't have an either or. We start by faith. We finish by faith. And it's always been about faith. And if that's the case, then here's my question for all of us who are here today. What do the people around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people who are in your footprint, your family members, people, kids you see at school, kids you went away with over the summer, what do they assume that Christianity and the Bible and the gospel message is all about? Do they assume that in order to be a Christian, it means you're part of the Christian right? You're part of the moral majority? Is that their assumption based on our behavior? It probably could be. Do they assume that in order to be um, a Christian, we have to reject worldly things such as sex and money and power? And if we reject those things and we follow this list of rules, this morality law that will be acceptable to God and that will be accepted by our brothers and sisters at the church? Do the people who are in your circle, do they look at at the church, do they look at our, us and think that the gospel is all about putting your best foot forward and hiding the fact that you are struggling and that you're not perfect? See, when we perpetuate this assumption that we don't start and finish and it's not always been about faith, we are removing the cross. We remove the cross, and it's no longer about faith, and then we are no longer people of grace or people of the law, and that's not what our world needs today. Our world needs grace. We need the faith and the grace message to be evident in everything that we do. So this morning, if you're still not buying it, 
If you think for some foolish reason that you have to have both, if you are sitting in this room today and you are saying to yourself, okay, I hear what she's saying, but I sometimes do some really bad stuff. I sometimes wonder if the salvation, remember the message that Pastor Joe taught us, is the cleansing really that good? I don't know if it's necessarily that good, and I still think, you know, I hear what she's saying, but it can't be that easy. I'm going to have to work a little bit. I'm going to have to work hard. I'm going to have to try to do this myself to get my salvation, to maintain my salvation, to earn my salvation, to keep my salvation, to grow in Christ. I have to be honest with you. You're going to have to work really, really hard. And I have a picture. Mikey, will you pull the lights down, please? I have a picture of how hard you have to work. After having lived a spotless life. The Bible tells us that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. So as fully man, when he was on this earth and tempted in every way that we were, went through all of the same things that we do, he was sinless, but I guarantee you that was hard work. I guarantee you, as fully man, that was even harder. It was harder. You don't have to work that hard. He has done it for you. So if you have your brain bewitched by something that says that that isn't good enough, you need to snap out of it. Stop being foolish. Trust this work. That work, that work was good enough. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you that we can trust. Trust that the cleansing was that good. We can trust in the power of the cross to reach out to us and to save us. God, when those, those moments uh, that come and we want to try hard, we think to ourselves that there isn't any way you could love us or maybe this really didn't happen. Help us to remember, Lord, that the cross is real. That we don't have to do the work. We have to trust that you will work in us, that it's all about you, what you have done and how you are refining us and how you are making us more like you. Help us, God, to understand that. There is nothing we can ever do of our own choosing of our own skill, of our own will that will take the place of what you have done that will make us right before you. So God, I ask um, that you help us as a church to understand first for ourselves that we can let you do the work. 
And then we as a church can show the world around us that you have done the work, that you've done the work for us. And that yes, we're broken. And yes, we are in desperate need of a savior. But by the grace of God, we want you to meet Jesus too. Help us to be your light of grace and truth and love into this world around us today that so desperately needs you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for justifying us. We thank you for sanctifying us. We thank you, Lord, that it has always been about faith. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.